Anyone who listens to the show knows that there's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that goes into running an accommodations business. Whether it's a hotel or short-term rental property, preparing, maintaining, and communicating with guests and employees is the name of the game. That's where Breezeway's best-in-class property care and operations platform comes in. Their easy-to-use tools help you automate, coordinate, and communicate with guests and staff in a seamless way. Plus, Breezeway integrates with over 30 PMS and IoT devices, meaning you can easily harness data to enable your staff, make work more efficient, build better schedules, improve quality assurance, harness guest texting, provide comprehensive owner reporting, and so much more. If you're looking for an operations software platform that will make an immediate impact on your business, visit breezeway.io slash proven principles to learn more. A few things that we make sure of, one is we focus on the law of diminishing returns. Make sure we're focusing on a minimal amount of things that we can give maximum effort to. Don't try and accomplish 20 things simultaneously because they're going to get less percentage of, of how great you are, which means you're going to get a lesser result. Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best-run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight. My guest today is Chris Adams. He's the founder of the Ellis Adams Group, an international hospitality consulting firm focusing on building brands, concept and design development, training, and revenue generation. Their current project list includes over 100 active ventures around the globe and the continued development of Marriott International's beverage program. Chris's start in the hospitality industry is one many of us have experienced. An entry-level job turns into a career and a lifelong passion. What's uncommon, however, is the ability to take early influences and combine them with lived experience within the industry and a desire to evolve how business gets done to actually raise the bar in what employees and guests can expect. That's what we're exploring on this episode. Chris is a great storyteller and shares several examples about how leadership, continuity, and congruence can be your best friend or stealthy enemy when trying to reimagine and evolve your company. It's no secret that we're never going back to the way things were pre-pandemic. Embracing and accepting that the hospitality industry needs to change is happening at varying degrees across countless companies. What I appreciate about this conversation is the realization that it's likely not to be one of the big guys that shows us how it's done, but a very small upstart company that's the one to revolutionize what we do and how we do it. So let's get to it. This is episode 86 of the Proven Principles podcast, Chris Adams on the hospitality leadership revolution. Enjoy. Chris, thank you so much for being on the show. It's really good to have you. Thanks so much for having me, man. Why don't you give everyone a sense of your origin story? Who's who's Chris Adams and and what is the, uh, the Alice Adams? Why is that even important? <laughs> hey, why is that important? <laughs> um, you know, I um, we're in the hospitality industry. Um, that is our that, that's who we are. That's what our brand is. It's our ethos. Um, but I have to tell you, it didn't start that way for me. At least I didn't I didn't realize it was starting that way. Um, I grew up in the hospitality industry, um, or not in the hospitality industry. I grew up in the entertainment industry. Um, I had never never worked in hospitality before, right? So you think about most individuals growing up and either in college or or whatnot that they do a bartending gig or serving. I had yep. never done that, so I wasn't. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't understand what the industry was, other than I had eaten at great restaurants, and and that was about the extent of it. And mm-hmm. I stumbled into this industry um, at an early age. I would I call it an early age. It was my late teens, early twenties, okay. and 
when I say fell in love with it, I think that's a that's a very mild understatement. I became obsessed with the hospitality industry. And from that, I started off my career with the Ritz Carlton Hotel Company um, and started off as a part-time pool attendant. When I tell you um, I, I knew nothing about the industry, I was like, pool attendant, sounds cool. Um, and yeah. it was probably one of the best jobs I've ever had, right? Uh, you get to walk around a luxury yeah. resort and hang out at the pool all day. And right. that really steamrolled for me and turned into 20 plus years now of working my way up the ladder at Carlton um, and doing a lot of different things um, around Marriott International and many of their brands as a consultant for them, um, opening my own restaurants and bars and nightclubs. And I mean, it's it's been such a wild ride that all stemmed from mm-hmm. an accidental summer job um, at, at a luxury resort. Um, which has now turned into yeah. our brand, which is a, it's a luxury lifestyle brand that is uh, hyper-focused on hospitality. And it, it's funny, I look back and I, I've told this story before, and every time I tell it, it, it rings more and more true, is that I didn't realize growing up that I was being prepped for this industry. And the reason I say that is wow. my grandparents, um, my grandparents had a, a four-bedroom home. And one of those bedrooms from the time I have memories of being at their place until they passed away, there was never a time that someone wasn't living in that extra bedroom that I didn't know. Right. And I was talking like they, and they ultimately became uncle so-and-so or aunt so-and-so. And they were individuals that either were down on their luck. They were in between jobs. They were passing through with family, whatever it was, my grandparents were the ultimate, we're your, we're, we're your safe space. We're your place of refuge. Let us help you get back where you need to be. We believe in you. They, they, they were that kind of um, temperament. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize growing up that I was being prepped for the – they were the best hoteliers I'd ever seen in my life, right? I can remember growing up, showing up to my grandmother's uh, house at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning with friends. You can imagine what that was like. Oh, yeah. And her being up because she was she was a night owl, weirdly enough. And if you walked in the door, she was cooking. And she was going to make us pancakes or burgers at two, three o'clock in the morning. And all my friends wanted to go back to her house every weekend because they knew that they were going to get fed. And there was no questions asked. That's just the way it was. And so um, all of that led to where we are now. And it's such a simple story on the front end that has given me so many opportunities um, because of it. And and I'm I'm so grateful for being um, taught those things and growing up in that atmosphere without even realizing, I think that it was happening. It's so funny. You get these experiences through your life. I love the way you put that, that just, you don't know what's happening in the, in real time. Right. But it, it, it's just, it shapes your perspective on things and how you look after people. And yeah, yeah. These little, they just, they layer on top of one another. Um, you know, and you're, it, yeah, go ahead. It's funny you say that because you brought up something that I think holds true regardless of where you're at in life. And, and from a career or personal standpoint is that what's the old saying? It's, you can't see the forest beyond the trees. Yeah. Right, right. Right. It's so difficult when you're in the moment of something to really understand the, the long-term effects of what it is. And I use a, I use a term many times that says, you know, our choices today affect our tomorrow. Don't let our emotions dictate our behavior and all those things, because as human beings, we're very emotional and we tend to make our decisions based on the moment based on a feeling that we're having right now. And that feeling determines a behavior. And then that behavior that we're making today, that choice we're making, we don't realize what it's going to do to us 
two days, two weeks, two years, 20 years down the line. Mm -hmm. And I am so thankful that 20 plus years later, I can look back on, um, of of all the bad choices I've made in life, um, some really good ones that I made early on unknowingly. I'm I'm not going to sit here and say that I was, you know, some business uh, guru at 22 (laughs) years old. Right. But I made really, really good choices to identify what was happening at the moment and capitalize on it. And it's affected the rest of my life because of things I did, you know, many, many years ago. Isn't that funny? And even as you get into a senior leadership role, that those emotionally charged decisions and that way of, of maybe reacting to situations, depending on whether you're trying to elicit change in an organization or you're trying to, you're trying to impose your will on something because, you know, you want it one way so badly or whatever, um, as you progress through your career, and I really want to get into this, uh, this career progression thing with you. Um, but that is one of those lessons that is, it's, it's, there are sort of hard fought wins. You win, you, you learn by trial and error. Uh, and it really does get, get you, it separates the people that are doing really well in the industry versus not those that can, um, maybe learn to take a more measured approach to things. I'm going to really quick story because I know we're going to jump into this, uh, the progression, but there's something based on what you said that my mentor, Brian Sanders, is a huge Abraham Lincoln fan. And there's a story about Abraham Lincoln that is, you know, none of us were there. So I don't know if it's true or not. But (laughs) when I tell you, it's amazing because it speaks to exactly what you were just saying. And it it basically says that in the midst of of going through the war when he was president, one of his generals um, refused to do what he had asked them to do. And he was irate. And I'm paraphrasing this, so please don't quote everything I'm saying here. But basically, <laughs> let's go. He, let's go check your sources. Yeah, exactly. Don't fact check <laughs> yeah. me on this. But he um, he basically would. The general didn't agree with what he was asking to do, and Abraham Lincoln was furious. I mean, he was ready to. I mean, he was ready to to take this general, fire him on the spot, bring somebody new in to execute the vision that he had for the war that was going on, and ends up that he didn't end up doing that. And, and, you know, we go on and and here we are, however many years later with our country and continuing to succeed, right? Mm -hmm. With Abraham's Lincoln's legacy. Now, the cool part is after he had passed, they went into the Oval Office, they were cleaning out his things and they found an envelope in the top drawer that had listed on the envelope, never send. And when they opened it up, it was the letter that he had written to the general saying that you're fired, move on, I'm bringing somebody else in to take over your duties. And huh. the, the lesson is what would have happened to our country, our nation, if he would have sent that letter? What would have happened if he would have been here in 2022 and had access to email, Twitter, instant, oh instantaneous? Yep. And so the lesson is write down your thoughts, sit on them, think about them, let them marinate before you actually react based on an mm-hmm. emotion so you can ensure that you're making great decisions. So anyways, just wanted to, it's such a cool story that I constantly have to remind myself of. I love that story. Now you and I, we have very similar beginnings in this industry. Um, I, I, I got into it right out of high school. Uh, the only thing I knew for sure when I graduated high school was that I didn't want to go on to university. Uh, I just wanted to get out there and work. And so I ended up getting a job at, at a, a luxury ski resort in the Canadian Rockies, which was only three or so hours away from where I grew up. Uh, that, I mean, it was a Canadian Pacific hotel. It's now Fairmont, a big luxury international brand. Yep. You know, you joined up with, with Rich Carlton in a, an entry level role, just like I did. 
I know how that shaped my perspective on this industry and, and the lens by which I look at everything now to this day. And through the early years of my career, not knowing any other way to do it other than that, that kind of luxury Fairmont way of, of providing service. And, and I mean, it's not just how you approach guests, it's how you interact with one another. It's how people are taken care of within the organization. It's systems and processes and documentation. Like you just think of everything, the whole, the whole castle. Um, how is, how is that for you? How has that affected how you approach this industry today? And do you think that if you had started with maybe, and not necessarily a fair question, but you've got exposure to maybe some, you know, mid-scale and less, you know, not as prestigious brands as Rich Carlton. If you had had a different experience at the beginning, do you think that would have affected how long you stay in it? And has it affected you having that Rich Carlton background into your career today? Um, one, I could tell you the Ritz Carlton hotel company shaped who I am. I, I, and I say this very openly, candidly, I am not who I am. Our brand and our company has not grown to what it is without the Ritz Carlton hotel company. And I am, I, I am, I make no bones about that. I owe much gratitude. I have a very soft spot in my heart for that brand, um, because I owe so much to it. And I think the reason why is I believe that every person that's born on this planet has a a purpose. They have something that has been bestowed upon them as natural talents and gifts, regardless of what you believe in, your religious beliefs or whatever. I think that every person has just natural God-given born talents. And I think we struggle many times with determining what are those natural talents that we have that we just, we don't know why we're just good at it. And where does our passion intersect? And when you can figure out where your passion intersects with those natural talents, that's the that, that's the sweet spot. That's that the yeah. paradise you can say of of a career where you hear people say, once you figure out what you're supposed to do, you'll never work a day in your life. And that those yeah. are great things to say, but I think that's all driven on how you find your passion and where it overlays with what you're just naturally good at. And it's part of your DNA. I believe for me personally, and I can't speak for everyone else, I believe this was in my DNA. I believe that whether I started with Ritz Carlton or any other brand out there, at some point in time, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. The things that my belief system, what's in my core, my foundation of what I think is right and wrong, um, that's who I am. It just so happened that the timing of working with what I believe, especially at that time, was the number one luxury brand in the world, it aligned perfectly with who I am in my DNA. So mm -hmm. do I think if I had worked for another company, I would still be doing this? Yeah. I, I think I don't think Rich Carlton necessarily instilled this in me that now I'm in love with hospitality. I think they they awoken something, right? I, I think that they they sparked something in me that I didn't realize was there. Um, but I don't think that necessarily I chose this industry because Rich Carlton made me believe in it. So, mm -hmm. and that, that's for me. I don't know that I can, I can't speak for everyone else and, and, you know, where you are in, in your path, but I believe that they did a phenomenal job of aligning who they were as a brand, what their culture was, the foundational beliefs that, that they were built on was, it just spoke to me. 
It made yeah. sense. Everything about it just was, it was natural. It felt like I had been a part of this my entire life, even though I yeah. was in it at that point for two and three days going through the countdown. So mm-hmm. um, to answer your question, I, I owe everything to Ritz Carlton um, because they, they sparked something inside me that I didn't realize is what I was supposed to be doing anyways. Yeah. And I think the missing link in a lot of organizations is that through the orientation, the onboarding process and the things that you interact with and you, you come up against on a day-to-day basis, um, things that are, you know, slogans written on the wall and in all the internal documents, there has to be alignment between what those things say and the actions that people take within the organization on a day-to-day basis, right? And it goes back to the leadership thing and and thinking before you act, like what we were just talking about. And where I think a lot of hospitality organizations fall down, at least they were pre-pandemic. And I I do think that, you know, there there is definitely an argument to be made that the companies that are struggling with finding people right now are the ones that also have a lot, uh, a lot of misalignment between words and actions. And Rich Carlton, I think, is a really great example of an organization that that they they walk the walk, right? This isn't this isn't something that I mean. Sure, you're going to have struggles day to day, but at the end of the day, there's there's alignment and continuity and congruence at many levels, and that's why they've managed to be successful for as long as they have. And this is not a commercial for Rich Carlton, but I just think I'm trying to demonstrate <laughs> that it's a you know there there's more to it than just like having a great mission statement. You got to do more than that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And you so hit the nail on the head in everything you just said. And I, I think there's such a misunderstanding of what actual leadership is. And I think that term gets thrown around so much. And, you know, we we mistake titles with leaders. Um, and I think one of the biggest things that we're lacking right now which, and I'm talking about our industry specifically, and one of the reasons why yeah. we're struggling so hard from a labor standpoint is from a lack of leadership. People, being a leader says that when I wake up every day as a CEO of our company, it is my job to do everything in my power to maximize my team's potential. It is my job to pull out of them what they didn't realize they were capable of. It is my job to expose them to things that they never thought they'd be exposed to. It's my job to clear the path for them and allow them to be great and to flourish into the purpose that's been bestowed upon them. That's my job. And it, my job is not to check boxes. My job is, to yes, I need to be a good steward in running my business. Yes, I need to make sure that we, we are financially um, sound so we can continue to grow. But at the end of the day, it is my job to put together the absolute best team of individuals and allow them to be great and clear the path for them to be great. And when you look at leadership, it is about saying that I care so much more about my team than they realize. It destroys me when I have to do something that that is going to affect them. When the pandemic happened and we saw people going through furloughs and all these different things, and I watched... Um, you know, God rest his soul. I watched Arnie Sorensen, um, the former CEO of Merit International. He did a video for the internally for his team, and he was distraught. He was broken about the situation. The fact that he was having to make choices and decisions that he knew was affecting his overall team of thousands upon thousands of people that work for Merit International. But that's leadership. 
Leadership is understanding that I'm not trying to get through today. I'm casting a strategic plan and a vision for my team for their future. And if my team member comes to me and says, Chris, I, I, I don't even know what to say, but I've got this opportunity that's been thrown upon me that is an opportunity I never thought I would ever get. It is my dream to be able to do this. It is my job to help them get there. It's my job to, to push and promote and set them up for success because that's what leadership is. It's not about me. It is about them. And leadership is tough. It is a mantle. It is, it is not, um, it's not convenient. It is, um, it is a burden. But it is something that when you understand it, when you believe it, and when you're able to do it, it is something there, there selfishly, there's nothing that feels better. There's nothing yeah. that, that feels better than seeing my team succeed, seeing them yeah. do things they never thought they could do. I have a team member this past week that got to go to a location on the planet that she was dreaming of going to and to watch her gush over the fact that she's got the best job in the world. And, and look what I get to do for a living. And all we did was put her in a position to be great yep. and let yep. her flourish. And, and yep. I think that when we go back to what you were talking about and we look at where are we at in our industry, that missing component. And one thing Ritz Carlton did, did extremely well when I started with that company was they made me believe they made me believe that they actually cared about me. They have an employee promise with Ritz Carlton. And the first line says at the Ritz Carlton, the ladies and gentlemen are our, are our most important resource in our service commitment to our guest. That's the first line. And that's cool mm -hmm. to write that, right? Yeah. Uh, many companies many have do. these amazing em many employee do. promises and all. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I believe them and they showed me and they invested in me and they put me in positions to, to help me succeed and, and fail for that matter. Right. Yep. It wasn't always roses and rain and, and rainbows, no. but I believed that they cared about me and my future. And I think when we mm -hmm. can get back to that place where our team members are those that are looking to potentially join our teams, believe, believe us and they trust us that we honest to God have their best interests at heart. It is a game changer for your organization. You will be able to maximize their productivity, their happiness. Um, their work-life balance, which is such a huge thing right now. Mm -hmm. Work-life balance is typically, uh, it sways one way or the other because of unhappiness, right? Yep. When I'm in a, when I'm doing something I don't want to do, all I could think about is what I'm not doing. It's not and being we can, yeah. Exactly. So when we can find that we can give them that purpose of something bigger than themselves, it changes, it is a game changer for your, for your company. Yeah, I love the way you said that. And and I get the follow-up question. This is something that I think about a lot. And I don't I I'd be to be perfectly frank, I don't know what the answer is. I think we're going to find it in time. And there's going to be a lot of trial and error, but from your place and perspective, what do we need to change? Where where are the pieces within this industry that are we all know are broken, but are just preventing us from getting to that next place? I think there's a lot, right? I don't think there's one thing. If we just do X, it'll get us the result we're looking for. I think it's a multitude of things that need to happen to, to really get us to a place where we're um, finding, I guess, the success that we're all needing and looking for right now. I think one of it is healing. Like we, we went through many, many years of um, 
working in an industry that for all intents and purposes, let's let's call a spade a spade. Let's be very honest in, in how we speak about this right now. And we're going to talk about the U.S. specifically because it's a little different here than some other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. When you look at the hospitality industry, most individuals didn't wake up at 11 years old with a dream of being – X in the hospitality industry, right? right. You, you woke up wanting one day to be a, a professional athlete, a, a ballet dancer, whatever it is. Most people didn't wake up going, my God, one day I hope to be a bartender, right? That's just right. not, that's not <laughs> that's normally true. what it was. And we have, unfortunately, we have taken the hospitality industry and we've made it a very, um, what's the right word? It is a, it's a fallback industry. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's almost viewed as, oh man, what went wrong? Where did you, what did you not accomplish in life? Were, were you trying to go be a doctor and it just didn't work out and that's what you had to fall into, right? It, it's mm-hmm. become of, it's viewed almost as it wasn't your first option. So man, that's, yeah. that's too bad. Yeah. Versus this is a chosen career because you have a heart for others. And because we have we've created this perception of what the industry is. It's then taken it to the next step as social media began to grow. That says it's a very thankless job, right? The only time anybody really, you hear your name as written on a piece of paper or now online is typically when you screw up, right? Thanks to to Yelp or whatever it is. I work most nights, I work weekends and holidays. I'm underpaid. Because my pay, especially if you're a server or bartender, is generally based upon the premise that if you like me enough, based on what I'm delivering to you, you're going to leave enough money on the table that I can feed my family, right? It's it's not based on any, you know, in most jobs, it's if you're great at your job, you get promotions and your pay is, is commensurate to your your talents. In the hospitality industry, especially front of the house, it's literally driven on, I hope to God this table likes me, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah, and, yeah, it's true. And at the end of it, they're not going to tell me how great I was probably. They're not going to give me off on Friday night. I'm not going to go get to see the recital for my kid. I'm not going to be able to spend Christmas morning with them. I'm not going to be able to do Mother's Day. All these things. And then we sit back when something happens, right? A pandemic happens. And the first thing we do without blinking an eye is let people go. Yep. Is, is, you're gone. But then when things ramp back up and we need them all come back, we're all scratching our heads going, man, I just, I don't know why people don't want to come back. They just don't want to work. Right. That's what it is. Yeah. They don't want to work. They're lazy. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, well, we, we kind of created this because yeah. in the past two years is the first time for many individuals, because they started doing this at 18, 19 years old. And now they're 30 something years old and they didn't realize 15 years passed in their life. And that the past two years was the first time that they got to spend Christmas with their family. Mm-hmm. It was the first time on a Friday afternoon that they got to go meet their friends in someone's garage and drink a beer and throw darts. Yep. And they went, this is what you guys do every week. And they go, yeah, mm-hmm. this is our Friday. And they yep. went, what am I doing? What yep. am I doing with my life? So we created this. But then we sit back and wonder why they aren't coming back. So to fast forward and say, what are we going to do to fix it? Well, we've got to change the way that we operate. We've got to change our models. We've got to change our labor models. We've got to change our structure, the way our P&Ls look. And so when I said it's not one thing, it's a huge undertaking. 
you know, when you look at most ownership groups in our industry now, that's, you know, it, it's hedge funds and real estate groups and all these different yeah. things. It, it makes it difficult because they're not the ones staring at, at Steve and, and, mm-hmm. and Beth and, and the different ones that we're having to look at on a day in and day out basis going, no, I swear I care, but my hands are tied. Yeah. And that, yep. That's a that's a t- that's a tough conversation to have. So until we change the structure, and I think the only way it's going to happen is that there's going to be some organization out there, probably not one of the big guys, <laughs> that's going to be a disruptor, and they're going to yeah. go out on a limb, do something crazy, completely flip the way that they operate. Their model is going to be different, and everyone's going to say this makes no sense. It's going to fail, and it's going to work. And when it yeah. does the market's going to demand that everything changes. And then you're going to see everyone start to dramatically shift the way that they do their business. But until Mm -hmm. that happens, we're going to keep running in this, in this constant ball of scratching our heads, not understanding why yet completely knowing why. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, God, everything that you just talked about is, is what a lot of what I've been talking about the last few years here between between lived experience on both sides of the coin. Um, and if your job as a leader has been, if your success is predicated on not needing to change the way you do things with when you have new information, then you have no incentive to change things. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is that in, in senior leadership roles in a lot of these large organizations, the same people are in charge as pre-pandemic as they are today. And they, you know, I, I've, I actually have talked about this on several podcasts where, you know, had I not been laid off at the start of the pandemic and forced to do all of the things that I've been doing over the last two years, would my, would my, would I internalize what I know is wrong? and be working to try and fix it? Or would I just be sort of on that treadmill of sort of railing it? Why are people coming back? And, you know, well, why don't, why don't we throw another thousand dollar signing bonus at them? Why don't we, why don't we try a four day a week schedule? No, too much, too much pushback in the executive uh, meeting room on four day work weeks. Okay, fine. Let's not do that. You know, that's, that would be the, the MO. And I, I, you know, I do think your point about the disruptor coming up in the industry is a really good one because it's the people that have been affected by what's been going on are the ones that are really thinking about how to change these things. And they're, they're going to come out of nowhere. That that's the thing that two, two, three years from now, that's going to be the, uh, I don't know, what's a good example in another industry. Like, like when Uber kind of uh, sort of came out of nowhere, or we were came out of nowhere, well, not a great example yeah. we work, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, and I think you look at one of the things we tried to do was you look back at 07, 08 when the crash happened. And that's when some of the biggest companies we know now were established, right? That's when Uber was created and and many of these other companies. And it was out of the fact that you had individuals that said something's got to change. And change is tough. And naturally, most humans, they don't enjoy change. They're fearful of change. It makes you uncomfortable. Um. We need individuals right now. And one thing that we did at the at the start of this pandemic was no one had a playbook for this. Right. It wasn't like the financial crash where we go, okay, let's right. let's watch what happened there so we can alter our our choices to get better results. Like there, no one knew how to respond in the world that we currently live in to a pandemic. So we were all kind of just 
shooting from the hip, right? And, and hoping for the best, that we're making the best choices at the moment that we can based on the information that we're being provided. And the one thing that we did was I, I used 0708 as a model for me and, and say, at this point, I didn't know what was going to happen. All I knew was every time I turned on, whether it was the TV or the internet, it was the world coming to an end. Yeah. Right. It was yeah. doom and gloom and, you know, go buy as many things from the store and board up your windows because this is it. This is the the world is ending. And I said, I'm not OK with that. And my theory was, if it is the end, then what do I have to lose? Yeah. Right. If, if, if this is it and it's what they say is going to happen, then no matter what I do right now, it really doesn't matter. Right. So I'm just try something well different. Trying yeah. That's it. I might as well do something different than everyone else simply because if I listen to the narrative that they're telling me, it's irrelevant anyway. Mm -hmm. So we went the approach of saying, and I don't know if I was doing this for others as much as I was for myself. We went on a, dear God, it, it had to been 40 plus days straight of going into the office. And when I tell you I go into the office every day, I'm talking like suited up, shaven. Like, I mean, I was. You would have thought I was walking in to close a massive deal. I got up, got dressed, and dialed in every single day. And we would come to the office, and Maricela and I would come here, and she would set up the camera, and I would record. And you can go back. I think they're still on my Instagram somewhere or YouTube or something. Mm -hmm. And I would record from between a minute and five minutes long some type of leadership inspirational message for the day. Yeah. And again, I didn't know if a single person would ever see this, right? I, I didn't have, at the time, I didn't have, you know, thousands upon thousands of followers or anything like that. I was doing it because I said, if there's one person yeah. that stumbles across this and hears it and it helps them, then it's worth it. And I think that one person subconsciously for me was me. Yeah, It was telling myself yeah. what I needed to hear to be okay with change. And to be okay with doing something different and to taking a massive risk. And during the pandemic, I can't tell you how fortunate we were that we grew as a company. We hired more people. We gave raises. We gave bonuses. Not a single person was furloughed. And it's not because, it's not because I, I made some ingenious business decision that, you know, I'm, I'm the Warren Buffett of, of knowing what's going on and what to do next. Mm -hmm. I just knew I couldn't do what was being said. I knew that yeah. if I was going out, I was going out on my own terms, not because other people were saying this is just the way it's supposed to be. And right. so I used 0708 as a model of, of how do we create something different outside the box? Um, and we did. And that's what we started doing. Um, and, and we've had amazing results because of it. Can't speak yeah. that for everyone, but I'm grateful that we found ourselves in that position. Yeah. Are you able to share any, anything that you guys did that might help people that are still in this, like, what do I do? How, how, how do I attract a new person? Or maybe, you know, I mean, I always say that the best recruiting strategy is a retention strategy. Uh, so maybe somebody who's just in this like churn of bodies right now and they cannot get their feet under them. Yeah. I think there's a, 
a couple of different things. One, if you're if you're a company that's trying to be different and you're trying to figure out what how do we break through to that growth piece and what's next, I think a few things that we make sure of, one is we focus on the law of diminishing returns. Make sure we're focusing on a minimal amount of things that we can give maximum effort to. Um, don't try and accomplish 20 things simultaneously because they're going to get less percentage of, of how great you are, which means you're going to get a lesser result. So let's focus, let's streamline our, our bullet points to what are those things that matter most? The next thing I want I would tell you to do is looking at, at what you currently do in your, your current um, company, I guess, wh- whatever it is, whatever you're doing, whether it's hospitality or real estate or whatnot, where is there a gap in your industry? Where is there something that you go, man, I wish, or wouldn't it be nice if, like, where's the gap? Every industry has a gap where it says, dear God, if the, if the Pepsi machine would just stop when, all right, at McDonald's, if I could, I've got so much going on multitasking, if I could just push a button and do this other thing and it automatically stopped, how much better would I be, right? That, that seems like such a, a minor little thing Yet the installation of the auto-stopped Pepsi machine when you at the, at the fast food place was a game changer yeah, for yeah. them from a productivity and efficiency standpoint, right? So mm-hmm. where are those gaps in your industry that there's a need? How can you fill it? How can you fill the need? Now, the biggest thing you have to figure out in that process, because if I had a nickel for every time I answered someone's call during the pandemic that was going to become a consultant, because uh, in the hospitality mm-hmm. industry, their local city or town had so many restaurants that just needed help. And I went, that's awesome because you found the need, right? You, there was a void. The issue is, how are you going to get paid, right? Unless, this is a, unless it's a charity, unless it's philanthropic, unless it's a write-off, you still have to pay bills. So you got to find the balance between finding a void in the industry that you're, that you're in, but then how are you going to be able to financially make it sustainable. And if you can figure those two things out, that's where you start to win. And I always say the tough part about consultants, when I was having this conversation, tough conversations with individuals that were honestly just trying to figure it out during that time, is that if you're a restaurant, if you're a mom and pop restaurant that has one location in whatever small town you're in, and you're at the point where the consultant needs to come in and help you, more than likely, you have stretched every credit line, second mortgage you, you have to keep your place afloat. You're working the cash register, you're the busser, you're the lead cook, you name it. So where's the money coming from for the so, so-called consultant that's going to be the, you know, the knight in shining armor to come save my, my family business? How are we going to pay for that consultant? And are you going to be able to produce results fast enough for them? that it turns them around financially that they can keep going. Yeah. And that was literally a light bulb for most of them. They went, ah, oh, crap, right? So you've got to be able to find the need in your industry, but then you've also got to figure out how are we going to drive revenue through this so we can make it a new, a new pillar, right, in our company, which is what we were able mm-hmm. to do, is create a, a new division of our company, able to get revenue pushed through it so then we can grow that, that division of our company and expand who we are as a brand. So mm-hmm. you got to be creative. You got to think outside the box. You got to look for the void and the need. And then you got to figure out how to make sure that you can run a successful business attached to whatever that need is. 
And that's that. Those are those foundational questions you have to be able to answer before you start going into hire mode and buy new software mode or a new building or whatever it might be. Yeah, and it comes back to the whole first point, right, about change in the industry and and where we go from here. And it's it and it being you know, not just having a great slogan on the wall or in your employee documents, really living and breathing what you're doing. I mean, is it, you can't, this is, a it just, it mushrooms, I guess, so quickly, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. Yeah. It does. Uh, who, let me ask you this, you know, we've talked a lot about the employee experience, um, but anecdotally, we hear a lot of stories about customer expectations and, you know, that, that is at least you know, maybe six months ago, uh, a lot of the stories that we were hearing about why people were deciding to come back to the industry, but then turn around and be like, you know what, I don't need this, was because of how people were being treated in the job by the customers. And you talked about this kind of at the outset as well, where the the industry is, is sometimes looked down upon or as a fallback position, not a real job, not a real career. Um, and I wonder if that's been ex- exacerbated through the pandemic, but anyway, that, you know, we could probably talk about that all day. The The point is though, ha- from your perspective and you're, you're still deeply entrenched with the Marriott organization, um, do a lot of work with them. How are you and, and potentially Marriott looking at what customers want these days? Is there an evolution in service delivery that is, and, and, and product delivery that is doing two things at the same time that is meeting customer needs, but is also able to be delivered in a way where, you know, if there are staffing shortages or the inability to get experienced people back into the industry, so you got to bring first timers in and train them and get the mindset, right? Like where's that X on the graph? And maybe we're not there yet, but there's like, that's where we're going. What's the prevailing thought process? Yeah. First off, I will, I'll never speak, um, on, on Merritt's behalf in regards to this is this is their stance on something. I will tell you that our relationship with them, it is our job to ensure that we we're the boots on the ground for them. We are taking their message and we're doing everything in our power to execute and activate it. Right. The great thing is it makes it easy for us to do our jobs when you're working alongside a brand that regardless of what people think and the fact that we had to go through a pandemic and people were furloughed all those all those things at the heart of who they are they care they legitimately do and the tough part of running a business is that there are many times you've got to make just crap decisions man that just it, it hurts and you don't want to do it and everything inside you it crushes you to have to do it going back to arnie's you know video message that he put out that doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that you don't care. It means that you're making the best decision that you could at the time based on the information you had. And I think the one thing that Marriott's continuing to do, at least from, from my perspective, they are constantly, feverishly looking at how are we going to continue to evolve as a brand to make sure that we're meeting our teams and our future teams where they are and where they want to be. And that is tough. I don't think people understand the difficulty when when you look at what we do, whether it's focused on beverage or the, the food side or just the service aspect of it. Do you realize how difficult it is to scale from doing something once to having 8,000 hotels? 
right? Marriott just opened their 8,000th hotel and it's growing every day, right? There's more hotels opening mm-hmm. every single day within that brand. Do you know how difficult it is to take an idea sitting around a table that goes, oh my God, this is it, and to implement it and to activate it yeah. and to bring it to life and to actually yeah. see a result of that? I can, I can tell you programs that we've worked on for years that, again, can't see the forest behind the trees. I'm sitting there going, my God, why are we even doing this? And then finally, yeah. one day you wake up and go, wow, I just visited X number of hotels and they're doing it. They're doing it right. Huh. Yeah. And, and you realize we actually are making an impact, but it is so it is a challenge to be able to, to scale it of that magnitude when you're such a big organization as they are. The great thing is they have amazingly smart individuals that and they're putting teams together constantly to try and figure out what's next, how to be better. Let's tap into to, to better resources, to people that are finding success in different areas and determine what do we need to be doing to help put us in a better position moving forward. And it's tough. Mm-hmm. Most people don't realize Merit's a management company, right? Yep. They, people look at these buildings with the, the M on the front or the Ritz-Carlton logo or, God, they have 30-plus brands now, I think, within their portfolio. And they just assume, well, that's Marriott. Marriott's the issue. They're the reasons. And you don't realize that I think it's close to 90% of all, all these buildings are owned by someone else. That's right. All they're doing yep. is flying the flag. They're, they're paying either a franchise fee or a management contract to say, we want to be called a renaissance. And we want access to the Marriott Bonvoy program. So that's what our hotel is. And, and so Marriott has to juggle between being the face of, for all intents and purposes, because no one knows who the, the ownership group is. It's Marriott's fault for everything. And, mm-hmm. and actually doing the things that they believe in, balancing that with being a publicly traded company, having owners that they have to, to, to actually answer to as well. It is a very difficult position. In some cases, the owner is a publicly traded company. Oh, yeah. Now you're getting hit on both sides, right? right? Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. it is not an easy task to just make a decision and go, oh, well, you know what we should do is just do that, right? And then you, you go, you take that, from corporate all the way down to a property level. And the properties right now, they're in survival mode. They're literally, and, and this is the tough part going back to what you were just speaking of, is that we're hiring people to get us through today. And that is a bad place to be. That is a bad yeah. place to be when, when that individual is saying, all right, let me go see if I want to ha- get a job at X location. And they know when they walk away that you're literally just filling a void for them. You are, you are, mm-hmm. you're giving, you're letting them breathe one extra day that, oh my God, you're here. The place is not going to burn down so we can try again tomorrow. That is not yeah. very encouraging yeah. when I start thinking about what's my five, 10 and 15 year plan as an adult and how I'm going to, you know, how am I going to get my kids in that private school? Well, you know what? At least I get through today. Right. That's a, you know, like there's yeah. not much hope attached to that. And that's where a lot of our properties are right now is that we're just trying to get through today. And so it, you've got the, the corporate teams that are honestly going nonstop looking for how can we continue to evolve and be better? And then how can at the same time while that's going on in one room, the room next door is figuring out how can we support our properties at a local level just to get them through today? I mean, that yeah. is two yeah. polar opposites. 
They really are. And I think that a lot of it is going to come down to, at some stage, re-educating the customer on what what they can expect. Uh, and I mean, you're educating your guests and your customers all the time, whether it's a, a, a you know a new a new product or service on the property, whether it's a a program like a drink program in your bar. I mean, you're you're always how you interact with them pre post during their stay. Like there's you're always educating them, and I, I I do think that once we get out of the weeds here a little bit, we can start seeing the forest <laughs> to use the analogy mm-hmm. a little bit better that you know we're, there's no way that we're going to go back to the way things used to be we can't we can't possibly and if anything the labor market is probably going to drive that um and so how do you continue to e- evolve and 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 stay ahead of your competitors and eke out you know a larger or maybe just maintain the slice of the pie that you're getting but hopefully get a little bit bigger although that comes at other people's expense but you know that's that's business um this is the, we're going to have to bring guests and customers along with us in order for this to really turn around. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you look at our industry as a whole, and let's be honest, we're light years behind most other industries when it comes to technology, we're not utilizing it to the best of our benefit. Um, and I think that's something that's going to continue to assist us when we learn how to use technology the right way, because hospitality yeah. goes from, we want no technology to the other end of the spectrum and says, well, why don't we have robots do all the work, right? I mean, there's literally no in between it's let's get robot bartenders <laughs> versus like, yeah, no, there's I think a lot, there's of, a lot of stuff yeah. in between that we could be doing that makes us more yeah. efficient. That gives hey, the they make great canned experience. cocktails now. Just. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of technology that I think is is underutilized. And I think you're gonna I, I pray you're gonna see our industry um speed that process up of how do we do a better job of taking advantage of the technology that's sitting in our phones and in our fingertips yeah. that we've become so accustomed to in other industries of our phones. I mean, how many jokes are there of, you know, I'm having a conversation at the house about something and next thing you know, it pops up on my phone what I'm talking about and yeah. is Alexa listening right. to me and all these things. Right. So th- there's all this amazing yep. technology that we don't utilize at all, um, on the hospitality side that I think over time, hopefully sooner than later, you'll see, start to add a lot more value and give more perceived value mm-hmm. from a guest perspective, which will then increase the guest experience, which is what they want, right? They're, they're not afraid to spend money right, right. now yet. They're telling us that their dollars have, um, a higher value to them. Uh, post pandemic and they, they have higher expectations, but we have less people to, to actually execute on those expectations. So it makes it a total disconnect between us and what the guests want right now. And I think technology can really help us, um, bridge that gap, um, which will also help us financially. It'll help our owners, you know, run great businesses so they can continue to grow as well. So I think it's a win across the board. It's just finding the balance Mm -hmm. between using technology the right way um, and still having the piece of hospitality that people love about hospitality. And that's, that's the person, right? We always said at Ritz Carlton, yeah. it's not the marble floors that make Ritz Carlton. It's the ladies and gentlemen inside of it. They're the heart, you know, they're the lifeblood yeah. of our properties. So do you think that the adoption of technology and hospitality, I mean, I, I know that there's cost barriers and there's a, it's kind of a, 
sunk cost mentality in a lot of these things. Cause you know, it, it, it's hard to use a merit example about scaling an idea, scaling a tool is equally as difficult getting that adoption in there. And so when you do it, you want to like, make sure you get, you know, kind of a long enough runway to get an ROI there. Um, but when you're looking at technology adoption, do you think that there's a fear that we can't be high touch and high service with technology and that that might be the thing that's standing in the way? Uh, I think that's part of it. I think if we really want to pull back the the onion on why, I think there's a, there's a few reasons on why we don't want to. I think um, when you look at technology, there's there's what you just said, right? Hospitality, it's about the individuals and, you know, the more technology we take that part away, which kills what hospitality is. Sure. That's, that's one thing. I think there's a, um, there's a security piece that is a huge fear. Um, when you look at the number of transactions that happen within the hospitality industry of people's credit card information and personal information, and the more technology we add into it, the more, you know, risk goes up, um, that goes up of, the potential of a breach of that, right? And you go, how much mm-hmm. How much are we willing to risk based on a potential breach? And we've seen some of that happen in the past with organizations and it's, it's, it, it hurts, right? So I think that when you talk about scalability and we go back to, what was it, 30 something minutes ago when we were talking and I said, there's going to be a disruptor come up. It's going to be a lot easier for an organization that has one, two, three hotels that are relevant hotels to take a risk to try something because they have a lot less risk involved than an organization that has 8,000 plus hotels. And once that organization that has three hotels has a proven model and their proof of concept shows results that it, that it does work, then it makes it a whole hell of a lot easier for the big boys, the Hyatts, the Hiltons, the Intercons, the Marriott's of the world to, to make the jump and transition over. Um, and like they typically do, they'll take whatever you did and tweak it and make it even better for them. Right. That's, that's what they're, they're known for right, doing. Right. Um, but the reality is someone else is going to have to take the risk first is the way I see it, which it's probably going to move one of these, you know, hotel groups, we'll call it that, um, doesn't have 8,000. It's a little bit easier to scale over mm-hmm. three properties than it is 8,000. That's going to be the model we use. Does it work? And then we can then explore from there. So if you got a great idea and you're listening right now and you're, you got, you got the right size organization to do it, take the risk because this industry needs it. It does. It does. And I mean, I, I think if you go back to the business model of it, position yourself the right way. If you've got that idea and you can find a way to scale it, do it the right way and, and let the big boys come to you and want to hand you money to help them figure out how to do it the art of consulting, my friend. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Chris, this was a a real fun conversation. I appreciate your, uh, your perspective on things and, uh, and what you're doing out there. If anybody wants to learn more about you, Alice Adams group, uh, or anything you guys are up to, where should they go? Um, obviously jump to the website, www.ellisadamsinc.com. Um, follow me on, on Instagram. You can kind of go on for the ride, be part of the family with us. It's at Chris Adams, all one word, underscore E-A-G, um, or at Ellis Adams Official, our, our company's page. And we'd, we'd love to hear hear from you, interact with you, answer questions, um, and 
hopefully travel the world and, and let you come along for the ride. Love it. Chris, thanks again for coming on. This is great. Thanks, man. This was my episode with Chris Adams. You can learn more about him and the Ellis Adams Group at ellisadamsinc.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show this week. If you're not a subscriber to the podcast, please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For past episodes or to get in touch with us, just go to theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at The Proven Principles Podcast, or you can find us on LinkedIn. I'm Adam Knight, and you've been listening to The Proven Principles Podcast. Until next time.